you know, to maintain health in space means that you have to understand it's a total different, uh, a totally different venue in space, right? right? But the benefits of what we learn in space can be brought back down to the planet. You know, it's and, you talk about microgravity, of course, because there's less yeah. gravity. It's micro, and so right. what that again, it's 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 allowing a better creation of a yeah. of a lock and key fit, right. like you said. Yep. But it's really interesting when you look back in the '60s and '70s. You know, uh, late '50s, '60s, and '70s with the push with NASA. Yeah. The advancements that came out of that. Many. In many ways. Yeah, many. You're taking that concept, you and others involved in space medicine, and you're really repeating that cycle, right? Yep. You're looking to space, yep. to the skies, yep. for again, new frontiers, exactly. new innovation. Yes, and then, you know, one other thing that we bring into that is what we, we, you and I talk about, organoid intelligence. And what is, what, okay, yeah, well, <laughs> well, let me back up real quick before we really blow their minds with yeah. organoid intelligence. Uh, and no, it's not going to space and getting an organoid and coming back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, space medicine, does that mean the patient has to go to space? No, 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 okay. not what, at all. Describe what Spa that process. Space medicine simply means the development and research is to better the uh, ability to create new cures on the ground. Welcome to the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. I'm the medical director at Brio Medical in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am both a conventionally trained and licensed medical doctor as well as a licensed medical homeopathic doctor. This podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrative perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we go. I'm super excited to bring you back for another episode here, Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. Our very first interview podcast was with the gentleman that is sitting next to me, the CEO of NEO7, Dr. John Cotanzaro. He has um, got an incredible history that we highlighted last time, so I don't want to bring that back and belabor that, but check out that podcast as well. And of course, go to his website, which we'll have him drop that in, in a little bit. But we want to talk today in this take two uh, with the innovator that is John Cotanzaro at NEO7, and talk about where he's going, about where the future of medicine is, because where medicine has been has been kind of the one size fits all approach. And we've kind of moved into kind of a, preci a precision uh, trajectory, but really where we're going is individualized therapy. It's the concept that it's the right therapy for the right person at the right time and nobody else. And that's what you're bringing. Yes. John, it's good to see you again, my friend. Nice to see you, Nathan. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, because, you know, what I love to bring to our listeners is people that aren't just looking over the horizon, they're looking above the horizon. And, and that's what you're doing as CEO of NEO7. But your history has been all about that. So, but I don't want to focus on that. But let's, let's first talk about precision-based immunomolecular augmentation because that's really at the heart of these precision peptides. So why don't you tell the listeners what that means? The precision-based immunomolecular augmentation uh, is a pipeline or a platform that integrates a very sophisticated uh, blend of artificial intelligence and human intelligence. And what we have done is we are able to take the uh, bio data, which is actually data that comes from a person's own blood, urine, or tumor, in the case of cancer, 
uh, and and then it is it is built in the system for interrogation, and then with that interrogation, we are able to find the trouble spots uh, in a person's in a person's molecular makeup. Like for instance, if they are coming to us because they have a cancer concern or some kind of other disease concern, or even if they're coming to us with a longevity in mind, they want to you know peak their health and peak their 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 performance efficiency. All of those different things, those inputs will be input would be integrated into the pipeline, and then we're able to plot the signal pathways from a molecular point of view, and then come up with a solution-based engineering for those pathways that need help. Right? Clinically because, applied engineering. Yeah, it's clinically <laughs> applied engineering, but it's individualized to the patient's own pathway disturbances, right? right? right. And, and you would never ever be able to identify those pathways unless you are able to collect that big data and really carefully interrogate, model, map, <clears throat> rank, and engineer, right? Because the whole idea is to create a solution. A lot of, a lot of molecular tests that are out there right now, they tell you the problem, and they may not even tell you the problem really, you know, firmly. They kind of, they kind of lead you and a lot of times the person's up and puts their hands in the air and they say, well, what does this mean? Right. I mean, and what am I supposed to do about this? I mean, I, I get all this uh, information and I have no idea where my, my, my you know, starting place should be. Right. And so what we do is we carefully architect uh, a good solid solution engineering that targets the trouble spots, right? And we use artificial intelligence and human intelligence in combination to do it. So if somebody's listening and they don't really know what molecular signaling is, I mean, you know, I, of course I understand that, but what is molecular signaling? Because when you're talking about developing this, this strategy, this precise, targeted, individualized strategy for the individual immunophenotypically as well as they're particularly signaling, but it's how does the molecular signaling apply to healing or even disease? Well, it applies by, uh, you know, the body has pretty much uh, DNA is like the, the, the master conductor, right? right? Everybody's heard of DNA. Yep. Now, DNA is like that starting place where, you know, DNA pretty much conducts the orchestra. And think about, think about your structure as, uh, you know, a, a symphony of players, if yeah, you will. Okay, right. so you're looking at DNA being the conductor. You're looking at, you know, the different sections of the orchestra having different components, you know, like your cells, your proteins, uh, your carbohydrates, your fats, you know, and all of that co coordinated events, right? So the molecular patterns uh, that control those things are rooted in, you know, signaling that starts with DNA. And so DNA moves its, you know, whole template message into what they call transcription and translation. Yep. And, and the transcription and translation then uh, creates the proteins, these dynamic proteins that we've talked about before, to coordinate the whole organism in harmony, basically. And, and so what we're doing is we're trying to uncover where those faulty errors are in creating proteins that could be potentially destructive or disruptive, right? Yeah. And so if we look at destructive and disruptive proteins, these are disease-causing proteins that create disharmony. Yeah. And, and what we want to do is we want to mitigate, we want to stop that bad signaling, and we want to potentiate the good signaling. So, and, and people will hear the word protein, and they go, well, you know, I take protein shakes. 
I eat protein. Right. So, you know, what we're talking about here is the, you know, the modifications that are occurring in the process of moving from that genetic code that's hardwired. That's right. That it's yes. adapt, it's, it's being modified in expressive form because of the environment into eventually protein. Yes. So it's not something that people are taking in. It's something their body's making, but they're not making it in the best way to actually do the job. And that is in turn what you're talking about in terms of molecular signaling. That's correct. I mean, it's an integrated part of what their system operation is about. So like every organ system depends upon that protein, that internal protein dynamic and the health of those transcribed proteins, right? So these proteins actually have functionality to control different processes of the body, processes of metabolism, for right. instance, right? Yep. Uh, how to keep your, how to keep the thyroid signaling and the adrenal signaling and the, you know, the the brain feedback to these organs. I mean, these are all controlled by proteins, and these protein signals have their, you know, equilibriums and their shifts. And if you have a bad structural protein, it's going to create that rift, that and that imbalance, and create that disharmony. So we locate it, we find it, and we fix it. So. So in essence, I can remember back in medical school, you know, one of my favorite courses was biochemistry. Yeah. yeah. And I can remember, you know, you know, Jason Williams was here and uh, he's just one of the world innovators, just like you are. And he was sit, he sat right next to me for two years from, from medical school. I mean, I know I keep saying that, but it blows my mind. We just went such different routes and here we are now back in the same arena. Right. But I can remember sitting in, in uh, medical school, and it wasn't him, but somebody was talking about how this biochemistry, this is just irrelevant to what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, or will do at that time with patients. But in essence, what you're describing with this clinical application of engineering is clinical application of biochemistry. Right. That's really what it is. Yeah, that's it is what it is. Now, that kind of brings back memories for me. <laughs> <laughs> or nightmares. Yeah. Well, I loved po it. I possible was, nightmares, I was, too, because <laughs> I had one of the toughest biochem instructors in medical school. And uh, and uh, we actually had three quarters of biochemistry when, when I was going through Bastyr University. And probably one of the hallmarks of, that I just remember is like, uh, you know, Kent Littleton, a PhD in biochemistry. All he did, involved in research, and, and he was drilling me and drilling me, and I was saying, you know, why, why is this so important? He says, you're gonna see why it's so important oh, yeah. because it's involved in every nook and cranny of metabolism and system balance in your body. Yeah, because there's and, not one, and that's what biochemistry <laughs> I think shows really well, and that's right. where the precision-based immunomolecular augmentation comes in. Right. Because you can, you can add something in here, but its impact is gonna be felt everywhere. Uh, it absolutely. ripples through the molecular signaling. Right. It's not just isolated, it ripples, mm -hmm. it ripples. So when, when you focus on the immunomolecular augmentation, we clearly have to touch into this, this future that is really finding its, its footing in today's medicine, and that's multiomics. Yeah. And, and, but that's a key step also in the testing aspect of that. So could, because after I, I talked this morning, you know, the question was, well, what, what testing are you doing? You know, everybody's looking for that, that one-stop shop. Right, right. But what you right. and your company are doing is you're bringing together um, all aspects under one roof to be able to do that 
multi-omics evaluation and then that in turn leads from the testing to the, to the design to the manufacturer then to the clinical application. Correct. So tell us about that multi-omic testing phase. The multi-omic testing phase is a lot of people are not used to it because what they're used to in you know when, when we're talking about testing is there they figure you get a blood test and so you're looking at standard markers that a lot of the times are just measuring uh, certain type of you know chemical reactions in the body or giving you some kind of indications on you know where your blood cells are or something like that well it, it, that is Im it's important but that's a, that's like a very surface thing it's like that's, a 1950 Chevy yes yeah, we're it, dealing with a 2024 car you know <laughs> multi-omics when you start going into the multi-omics you're del you're delving into a deeper dive into what is controlling the things that, you know, those very basic things that you're seeing, it, you know, it's giving you a real time look of what's happening as to why, like, for instance, let me give you an example of uh, a typical markers like uh, CRP, yeah. which is C-reactive protein. Yep. So you look at C-reactive protein, you say, well, okay, well, my CRP is elevated. Why, why is it elevated? Well, I got some kind of inflammation going on in my body. Uh, that's good. It tells us that, but why do you have that inflammation going on, right? I mean, what is the underlying deeper mechanism that's causing it? And the underlying deeper mechanism that's causing it is a molecular signaling shift that you would only pick up on omics analysis. Yeah. So right? it's like, you know, when you look at a couple that maybe is going through counseling, and it's because in most cases there, there's miscommunication. Yes. And and yes. what you're getting in at is the intracellular, the intercellular, and the systemic communication to basically bring all those pieces of the player, pieces of the puzzle together to properly communicate. And you, you said something there that I think was really important. You talked about root. You know, people think of root causes of disease and they think of heavy metals. They think of, you know, parasites and that kind of process. Mm -hmm. But what you're talking about is you're talking about the root cause of dysfunction, root cause of signaling and miscommunication. Mm -hmm. So you're really talking at root cause at a whole nother level. Absolutely at true. At a whole nother level. Yes, that's very true. But that's where it yeah. begins. Right. But then you have to then tag that to the individual, right? Because this is not something that where people say, well, where do I buy this peptide? Mm -hmm. you know, where do I buy this peptide? Mm -hmm. This is actually created for one individual, right? That's correct. Yep. And how's, how's that done? Because that under, help describe to the listeners the process of immunophenotyping. Okay, so the immunophenotyping, uh, you know, chromosome six uh, is a central control center for what we know as uh, human uh, leukocyte uh, antigen expression. Yeah. And what that is, is that's how a, a person is able to adapt to any type of assaults that they're exposed to environmentally or internally. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a system that also helps with to show their ability to tolerate. It also helps with compatibility and susceptibility. Like for instance, uh, if a person is more susceptible to a certain disease process than you know, a, a, another person, right? So, it's, so it's, an, it's a fingerprint that shows their strengths and their weaknesses of their immune system. Right. right? And, and knowing that phenotype actually helps us to, to, to construct a uh, engineering for peptides that are more dynamically um, uh, related to 
assisting in the recovery of the disease process because it because the the only way that you can really design a efficient peptide is by matching it to that person's own hla expression yeah so you have to have that expressed fingerprint so nobody else yeah can use that peptide nobody else can use that peptide and see that that i think it even here amongst doctors yeah they struggle that's with that foreign con concept yeah it's that's why that's why it's, because we're fixing it, we're fixing to blow your mind about where we're going. Yeah, this may be blowing your mind. Yes, but it, but it, it still it blows our mind because they're still stuck in that one size fits all approach, that yeah. reactionary disease centric model. Right. Yes. And and that's what they're coming from, and it doesn't mean they can't learn, but that's why even in that aspect, what you're doing with Neo Seven Bioscience is so innovative. Yes. Thank and you. and one of the greatest challenges we see, and you see this as well, is how to basically open people's minds right. to be able to think bigger, mm -hmm. to be able to think bigger. Now, when, when you look at the immuno, immunophenotypical, uh, immunophenotypically matching with these peptides, mm. you know, most people might recognize that connection as it relates to, you know, organ transplant. Right, right. Because if a organ is given to an individual, they're trying to make sure that the immune system is not going to reject it, right? Correct. Because the immune system is designed, it is, our, it is our created internal defense mechanism to protect the body against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so I, I think that when we look at, you know, transplantation, the HLA helps people to understand, I think better that it's helping the immune system protect but not destroy self. Mm -hmm. And so then that has been used originally, I think, in the transplantation industry, right? Absolutely. That's how HLA, you know, became known is, uh, you know, by tissue matching. Right. To be sure that the tissues are compatible. Right. So if you're going to do a heart transplant, you have to have a donor match that's going to be as similar as possible. Yeah. Not going to be exact. Yeah, it's not going to sure. be exact, but it's got to be as similar as possible to prevent that ex that rejection system, right? Yeah. So so let's look at a counterintuitive engineering. So what you're doing basically is you're using that system of of rejection recognition to cultivate a engineering to recognize the possibility of a foreign invader inside the body. Right. So you're 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 able to like for instance in cancer, uh, why why does cancer exist in the environment? It's not. It's not part of that person's normal physiognomy, right. their normal expression. Right. So it's a. It's like a, a an enemy. Right. Right. But why an does enemy the body from within? Right. Enemy from within. But why does the body not recognize it? Oh, because of all the immune system dysregulation. The, all of the dysregulation yeah. that is all signal dependent, like we're talking yeah. about with those molecular signals, right? Immune checkpoints are one yeah. example of how uh, the immune system will just. The cancer will evade the immune system. Absolutely right. And so what you're using is you're using that counterintuitive engineering to bring that rejection system inside so that the body recognition is showing that there is an invader yeah. and that invader needs to be targeted and eradicated. Because I think most people look at cancer as it relates to the immune system and they think what we're, we're dealing with in those aspects, especially the advanced cases, is outright immune suppression, yeah. which can happen, can. definitely, yeah. especially late. But here, you're actually talking about, you know, all the army and the Marines, as I like to call them in the immune system, the innate immunity, right. they're all there. Yeah. But then you have infiltration of 
all these immunosuppressing agents within the immune system that take over mm -hmm. within the tumor microenvironment. Yes. And so we're not just talking about this uh, precision interconnectivity um, and, and intercellular signaling, intercellular signaling, excuse me, but we're talking about that within the context of not within the solid tumor, but within the tumor microenvironment. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love to hear you elaborate a little bit, John, on the tumor microenvironment. Yeah, the tumor microenvironment is uh, it's it's like creating its own body within the body. Yeah, it's probably the best way to describe it. But it's uh, creating the body within the body that res resists the body's defense and surveillance, surveillance and defense. So it's kind of like it's a it, it, it's it's in you. So it's almost like it's trying to grow an, a, another you. Yeah. <laughs> But, but a, a but a, a more destructive yeah one. <laughs> an abnormal form of you for sure <laughs> right so it's got so, it's got the structure proteins it's got the immune cells it's got it's all got, of it yeah it's got it's all it's got of it. all of it blood vessel supplies it's got the whole thing the matrix is you know all of that moiety or that 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 process of construct construction there it's got all the elements to try to create its own survival and it does a pretty good job of it and and what happens is the immune system can become very resistant because it doesn't recognize it right right so there's something called the mdsc layer or the the myeloid you know suppressor cells that yeah. are actually there to to actually create a slimy layer around the uh, uh, you know the tumor yeah. to protect it from any destruction yeah. right and and what the body needs to do from that molecular signaling point is to focus that in in on that uh, activity and, and, and break it down and get into that tumor structure and destroy, and pretty much eradicate it. Yeah, right? because, and so. I think this ties in with the, the, the molecular signaling because <clears throat> what happens is um, so much of what's going on immunologically within the tumor microenvironment, it, you know, especially like M2 macrophages, they recruit these myeloderived suppressing cells into that environment. Yep. So, they, so the signaling goes out to draw cells in and those cells get within this environment, they get you know, modified mm -hmm. all through this communication. It's like there's a lie being told that says, hey, come, there's a party. And then they lie to every, and they manipulate the whole environment. I mean, it's really fascinating where our understanding of what cancer is and where it's going. But that's really where innovators like you allow us to really apply therapeutics to target that. And you have to capture that data data you have to capture that data which is which is a huge amount of data to be able to know where those where those areas are right because think about it the tumor has its own environment and you would think that okay so if a cancer cells outside the tumor environment it's probably going to be expressing the same thing that it's expressing in the tumor environment mm -hmm. no yeah it's different yeah it's different so you're so you're actually capturing two zones yeah you're capturing the resistant zone here and then you're capturing the circulating remnant zone out here, yeah. and and even though the two structures are cancerous, act, you know, cells that are active, right. they they definitely have different physics. Oh yeah. They have different molecular type of dynamics, and you have to understand what's propagating their dynamics, right? Yeah. Because there's various type of signals in the molecular signaling path that we look at in the precision-based immunomolecular augmentation right. that will show us this is the characteristic of the tumor, this is the characteristic of the cell that's remnant outside of that tumor, and why, that, why the escape mechanisms are happening. You get a better sense of why that is, right? right. And then you can uh, craft, you can definitely craft a much better precision target approach. 
right? So, so. Uh, so obviously the molecular signaling is something we've gone through quite a bit. That's incredibly dynamic. Yeah. But that molecular signaling is integrated intimately with the immune system, as you've already touched on. But you mentioned data. And what we're talking about here is not data in a quote-unquote code on a computer. We're not talking about you know, data just on a computer printout. We're talking about data as it relates to, you know, physiology, biochemistry, mm -hmm. genomics, epigenomics, transcriptomics, proteomics, et cetera. So you, you, I think you know where I'm going. How do we, because you've already mentioned it, how do we sieve and sift through all of that data and then apply that to relevance of that individual, that disease, that dysfunction, but then also in the therapeutic application. How do we do it? It's two words, I think. It's... Yeah, I think uh, probably a good way to describe and how, like for instance, a lot of people when they think of AI, which yeah. is artificial intelligence, uh, they're, they're thinking there's a lot of controversy over, you know, artificial intelligence is gonna create, you know, some very destructive uh, activity that we have to be really highly on guarded to, mm -hmm. uh, on guard to. Uh, so uh, the thing that I think of is, is that we're using artificial intelligence combined with human natural intelligence, uh, which means that the best of the minds that are out there, these scientists that have had, you know, devoted their work to the understanding of this disease, this right. cancer disease, right. and, and having the having the ability to to get everything that you can in that in that environment as as far as what's known in the research collecting that data integrating so that knowledge-based application becomes part of that ai right so your ai is only as good as your inputs yep your yep. ai is your, your ai would if your inputs are bad your ai output is bad if simple simple yep. very simple math that's right, that's right. <laughs> you know that's inputs right. bad output is bad yeah so you have to have, you have to have your sophisticated inputs. So what I call it is a dual-sided uh, artificial intelligence. It's a, a you know a, a dual-sided meaning it's a DSAI, which means that you're taking artificial intelligence, you're looking at the sophistication of that, and then you're also bridging in the the natural human intelligence because you can't negate that. That is actually what creates the the, the more reliable inputs that you need to be able to do what we do with this precision-based immunomolecular augmentation. Because you wouldn't be able to do this if you just took AI and just did this, you know, basic, you know, tell me tell me what this problem is and, right. and trying to type that in there. Yeah. You, you have to have a very intricate algorithmic relationship engineering that's going to help do that prediction, right? So the AI, HI intelligence is a big, uh, you know, a very big, uh, uh, I would say part of that uh, engineering. So, yeah, and so you're yeah. using AI yeah. with the multiomics to really help to create this precision immunomolecular augmentation strategy with these peptides. Yeah. So you're putting yeah. it into motion. You're putting it into motion because there's no possible way that you can manually capture. No. Uh -uh. You see, now this pro this whole pipeline was assembled and architected based upon uh, uh, years, and we're talking about, you know, 25 years worth of inputs and, and looking at cases of resistance in, in cancer. And, I, and we're finding the same thing with 
with all of the diseases that we're focusing in on because cancer is kind of like the multi-disease within the disease like we talked about. Yeah, yeah. The nice thing about the, the, the fact is that we modeled this to actually create the ability to recognize in any disease pathophysiology or mechanism of disease, we're able to identify, okay, the more sophisticated this AI gets by those inputs, right? The more it's gonna be intelligible, you know, in its ability to create a, more, a much more reliable output, right. right? One that is not going to, you know, tell you lies. Right. 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 Well, and that's the so, thing. They may go, well, how do I know yeah. whether the AI is telling me truth or not? Right, right, right. Because the inputs that you put in there are, are, are very cohesive, truthful inputs. Right. And, and of course, can I, AI go awry if you are not careful about what you're putting into it? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So on our end at Neo7, our science and data teams are very, very uh, integrated in the fact that they know that they have to really pay pay attention to how to cross-correlate the information and relate, and relate it to the individual, yep. not related to the disease process, right? right? Because the, the whole intention of the AI is to create that, you know, dynamic architected engineering specific to the patient and not just focusing in on the disease itself. Right. And, 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 and because we have those inputs there, we're relying upon the best that AI can build and we're relying on the best that, that human intelligence actually has contributed to in the science, and we blend that together yeah. to create that prediction. The right? HI, um, or human intelligence, right. is really steering and maneuvering AI. Yeah. When properly constructed, yeah. HI plus AI can be advantageous, and not only advantageous for, other, for humans, but here you're actually using it to design specific precision yes. individualized therapy. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't leave out anything. So in other words, well, we we were talking about proteins, right? Yeah. But now cell to cell expression relies upon protein to protein integration. Right. Right. So in other words, your cell expressions and your every cell of your body has this communication network. Yeah. <clears throat> and that communication network, if it's really sound and healthy, it's going to produce more healthy healthy you know. Uh, family, basically, yeah. right? So the healthy family is going to be like its daughter cells are going to be. You sit around you know, at the dinner table. Everybody's communicating. Right. And, you know, family's it's, good. It's, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. But but you got one bad apple in the bunch. Yeah. And what happens? Yeah. Uh, the communication breaks yeah, down, and break the whole down the whole family unit breaks down. It it does, and so the cells have their the cell to cell communication in every system and organ is is a very intricate thing. It it's controlled by protein to protein interactions. Yeah. And, that, and we capture the protein-to-protein -protein interactions that control the cell-to-cell -cell responses, right? Yep. And, of course, we're learning more and more the intricacies of that because the thing is, is that with more data capture, the, the more we're able to relate it to, you know, a, a real-time functional value. Right, right. Right? Yeah. So, you know, we talk a lot about proteins and we've talked a lot about peptides, but peptides are just short protein chains. Yes. I mean, that's just to, to remind our audience and those listening is that we're just talking about shorter chains of proteins made up of amino acids. Right. And, that's, and they have the ability, because they're these shorter chains, to really get into grooves and nooks and crannies. And the, the conventional thought and the way medicine is looked at and the way people look at medicine is more of an obstructionary approach. Mm -hmm. Shut something down. Right. But what's really happening with these pet, 
these peptides is they're modifying signaling. Yeah. They're modifying communication. And really it's more of a restoration. It's more of a healing strategy in many ways mm -hmm. rather than just saying seek and destroy. Right, yeah. agreed. And uh, when we're looking at that signal, you know, those signal uh, enhancements that you're talking about, the peptides have the ability, like you said, they're short chain amino acids and amino acids are the building blocks of these dynamic proteins, yeah. right? Uh, but the power of the peptides is that once they get into the system, right they they have a degree they, they go through a degradation mm -hmm. but in that degradation those fragments then begin to self-assemble and then when they self-assemble in the proper places they propagate new signals it's, it's almost like so, you're uploading a new code it's you're uploading your app uh, those fragment selections are the new code to, yeah. to reboot and to regenerate basically yeah. to, cre so. to create a generational <laughs> impact yeah. a legacy impact <laughs> yeah um, and you were just mentioning something that I, you know, when we're talking about when you're looking at proteins, right? Yeah. We were talking about uh, uh, developments in space and microgravity, right? Yeah. So, so the things that that really apply here, because you say, well, why can't you do this this type of stuff? You can do all your develops and research on on the planet, on the ground, right? Well, what are the advantages of using microgravity? Yeah. Well, because a protein fold is different in microgravity than it is on in a gravity-based environment. Right. You're able to actually look at the protein in a microgravity environment that actually has a looser structure, and you would be able to fit a molecule in that, in, in that looser structure that you would never be able to do on Earth because the crystallization process is tighter and you can't see the pockets. So, so, anyway. so mo what many of you may listener or watch, listeners are watching this, or those that are watching this, you may go, uh, what just happened there? <laughs> what is the okay. switch that happened? <laughs> um, what, what it shows you is sometimes when you're dealing with innovators like John and others, they just, their brain just starts to, you know, going down uh, rabbit holes after rabbit holes after <laughs> rabbit holes. So let, let me back up just a little bit um, because this is, I did want to go here, but let me provide just <laughs> a little sorry, bit. No, 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 that's okay, John. That's great. That's what I love about you. That's what I love about you is that what you tied in there is basically a bridge to where you're going because what you've been doing with neo seven biosciences is in in and of itself innovative and revolutionary and it's changing medicine it's changing how medicine is applied from again that that one size fits all approach to that precision individualized approach but what you mentioned there is now whole otherworldly strategy and you mentioned the word space medicine. Mm -hmm. So basically now what John is doing in leading Neo7 Bioscience is he's now taking us off planet. Mm -hmm. And why is the benefit, repeat that again, what's the benefit to the patient sitting out there with cancer or maybe Hashimoto's thyroiditis or obesity, hypertension, what's the benefit for going off world for space medicine for them? Yeah, the benefit is, is that we're able to see in that protein structure a relationship that we were talking about earlier, the ability to create a better personalized molecule that would fit in a space, in a tighter binding space, because we, the, the space environment creates a, it, it shows a very loosely packed protein structure. So normally on the, on the yeah. because of gravity here, it's more tightly it's, packed. Yeah, because of gravity, it's more raveled in a three-dimensional right. structure that you can't see certain type of, you know, 
areas that you, you may not be able to get into. Right. And so in space, in the crystallization of a protein, the crystallization actually unpacks the protein a little bit. Not Well, not unpacks it, but it releases and structurally, because gravity actually influences the molecular structure to to kind of bring it in within itself. Then you actually have what we call a loose a looser arrangement. And then when you're trying to match something that's dynamically modeled to the patient, you, you can get into a binding pocket of a dysfunctional protein a lot tighter than you can if you were doing a gravity-based approach, right? So, so for lack yeah. of a better term, and tell me if I'm wrong here, helping us to make better keys? Help us fits? to make better, yeah, lock key fits, yeah, yeah. right? And, and we have the benefit of doing that in microgravity that we can't do it on the planet, right? And you would say, well, I'm just thinking of it from the standpoint of, you know, functionality because, you know, the two brothers that, the two twin brothers that were on the space station, for instance. Okay. Uh, one of them actually, uh, the space, the space uh, environment had affected his telomeres uh, in a positive fashion. And the other brother in uh, the space environment affected his other brother in a negative fashion and shortened the telomeres instead of lengthening them, right? So, so what they got to see was is that there's something going on with the protein dynamics that, or the genetic you know, coding dynamics that control that, right? Because the one brother was able to sustain and the other brother uh, di didn't have that same you know, sustaining ability. And, and that's the same kind of a thing that you're gonna see with the lead optimization of a drug. How can you develop a better molecule to influence that you're not going to do it on Earth because you're in a different environment. So right. not only this will this benefit the person on the on the planet with the disease process, but it's also going to help people that are you know journeying out into space. You know, astronauts and other researchers are going to you're going to see this this environment is growing like crazy right now. I mean, it's like uh, you know to maintain health in space means that you have to understand it's a total different. Uh, a totally different venue in space, right? But the benefits of what we learn in space can be brought back down to the planet. You know, it's and, you talk about microgravity, of course, because there's less yeah. gravity, it's micro. And so right. with that, again, it's, it's, it's allowing a better creation of a, yeah. of a lock and key fit, right. like you said. Yep. But it's really interesting when you look back in the 60s and 70s, you know, uh, late 50s, 60s and 70s with the push with NASA, yeah. the advancements that came out of that. Many. In many ways, yeah, many. you're taking that concept, you and others involved in space medicine, and you're really repeating that cycle, right? Yeah. You're looking to space, yeah. to the skies, yeah. for again, new frontiers, exactly. new innovation. Yes, and then, you know, one other thing that we bring into that is what we, you and I talk about, organoid intelligence. And what is, what, okay, yeah, well, <laughs> well, let me back up real quick before we really blow their minds with yeah. organoid intelligence. Uh, and no, it's not going to space and getting an organoid and coming back. <laughs> um, so space medicine, does that mean the patient has to go to space? No, 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 okay. not what, at all. Describe what space, that process. Space medicine simply means the development and research is to better the uh, ability to create new cures on the ground. So what do they do? So they're, they're yeah. sending these labs up into space. Yes, we, uh, we have, uh, I'm, I'm working with Space Pharma right now. They have a lab in a box. And the lab in the box is about a shoe box. Okay. And it creates all, it actually does all the wet lab activities in that little shoe box. Okay. Oh, wow. So it's going to, it, it analyzes all the components that need to be analyzed to develop a optimal uh, a candidate drug. 
you know, a better drug for, for a disease. So for instance, like the prion protein right. for neurodegenerative disease, right? right? right. So a, a most recent mission that just was completed studied the prion protein and, and it, it gave information to show what the specific molecule was able to do in influencing the prion protein. So now they're bringing it back to Earth to analyze what the effects were in the microgravity environment. And, and what, what they're hoping to achieve here is to create a much better effective binding target for prion so that you know it can mitigate mitigate against that bad effects of the prion protein. So it's not so, like these kits are being sent to the space uh, the space station up there, and the, yeah. and the astronauts are doing anything with right. it. That's no, not it. No, uh, uh-uh. it, it's no. this is a self-contained laboratory. It's a uh, it's a remote based laboratory in the box right. that does all of these things right, and the astronauts on the space station are just feeding the experiments into it. Oh, wow. Right? And those experiments basically are involved in developing new cancer drugs and new drugs for neurodegenerative disease. That's the focus right now on the space station. So we're, we have had the opportunity of now considering designing a new two new experiments, one on tumor microenvironment models. Oh, cool. Right? To, to, to actually create more influences on peptides getting into the tumor microenvironment. And then also uh, two, you know, more specifically, uh, cancer peptide models and uh, and uh, neurodegenerative models using uh, exosomes. Yeah, yeah. See, I so, told you, I told you this was yeah. otherworldly here. What yeah. we're talking about? Yeah, it's out of the world. But you know, and then and then when we're talking about that lab in the box, it's it's got the components in there, including things like. You know, lab on a chip, everything's on a chip, and then organ on a chip. Yeah. And then, of course, the organoid models that we're talking about. Uh, and you can, you know. So let's, uh, let's talk about that, that because, yeah. because then the next time, because I know on LinkedIn, you know, uh, you know follow, follow John Cotanzaro, CEO of Neo7 Bioscience on LinkedIn. Um, you guys will highlight the, you know, the spacecrafts taking off and stuff. I mean, that could literally be a mission that those of you watching could receive benefit from that mission. Yes. Yeah. Yes. From that mission. So and we'll keep them. We'll keep everybody updated on the pre and protein and some of the other cancer, more targeted cancer drugs that are being developed that are supposed to be a lot more, uh, a lot more precise and having less side reactions. That's the whole purpose of why this research in space is happening, because of the fact that they want to low, they want to get the efficacy and lower the toxicity mm. and have a much more reliable type of drug in there and the microgravity environment affords us to do that. And the other thing that's happening is that it's being tested on organoid models like or human organoid models that, you know, human brain, human liver, human kidney, you know, human heart. There are different organoid structures that these uh, new developments well, will Well, let's will touch hit. on that because yeah. we've talked about AI, artificial intelligence talked about human intelligence, HI, and now you're talking about organoid intelligence. Right. It has nothing to do with basically, you know, space, something being picked up in space. Define what is organoid intelligence, because there's many people that would struggle, they wouldn't struggle with human intelligence, they would struggle with what AI is, and I think you did a great job of explaining that. But organoid intelligence, that's, that's other galaxy-esque. So what is it organoid is. intelligence? Organoid intelligence is being able to take the human tissue that's been grown, right, into an organoid structure, and it is human human structure, 
So for instance, let's take the brain as an example, the development of the brain tissue. Now, when you develop the brain tissue, you're, you're, you're trying to create a very symmetrical environment outside of the body as a test bed. It's a test bed so that, you know, most, most people are aware of the fact that in science, what we're using, what we've used for many, many decades are animal models. Right, right. We've used mice, mice rats, dogs, cats, monkeys, yeah, yeah, all kinds of right, primates. Yeah. You know, and, and what science is trying to get away from is using animal models because of the, you know, animal uh, welfare and some of these other things sure. that concern, right? And, and, I, and I think that this is a very smart move because the organoids allow us to be able to test things and, and, and not put them into an animal situation to, you know, compromise an animal, right? Uh, and we can get some very reliable output outputs from those testing on the organoids themselves. So is this, right? is this matched to each individual? Or is this it, just in broad it's, sense? It's in, in broad sense, uh, you know, from the, from the organ specific. Like, okay. in other words, it's brain tissue. But not specific to, not specific to one patient. Not specific to one patient. Okay. So, so the whole benefit of this is to kind of get through the first phase of demonstrating that this is not a harmful agent. Right. right. Uh, demonstrating that it could be efficacious. It's not creating any toxicity issues. And it's certainly not, you know, creating, you know, the demise of, a, of an animal. Uh, so science is moving more toward the organoid structures to get a better sense of data capture because you can get a lot more data uh, specifically out without having to go through all of these procedures that you have to do. You know, if you're going to if you're going to inoculate an animal, then you have to nest, you know, you have to then, you know, uh, uh, the animal has to be sacrificed for you to be able right. to get the information. And here that's not the case. No, no. So organoid no. really translates to organ kind of like, organ tissue. Organ-like yeah. tissue. Okay. Right. And we want to test it specifically like on organ-like tissues because we want to see what the effects are uh, on that particular organ system. Because as you know, in cancer, uh, certain organs are affected more than others. And what you can do is you can get a mimicry model and getting it really close. So you're modeling. Right. You're modeling. Yes. And then you're creating predictive data. Right. That's allowing you to be more targeted and precise in your therapy. That's correct. That's correct. And so, this will help us with being able to have what we call out-of-body validation, right? Out-of-body experience? No, out-of-body yeah. out validation. <laughs> yeah. Out-of-body so validation. You'll have out-of-body validation. You go into then you'll go into the development of your your best molecule with more confidence. So you'd be able to say, okay, I, uh, you know, uh, instead of using humans as a test bed in investigation, you you would be able to go in and say, you know what, I'm really confident that this molecule will do what it says it does, and going you know into the patient is is going to be less risky. See, that's right? revolutionary, so, yeah. John, because. I don't think right now, currently, when you're talking about this clinical, you're, you're bridging from bench to clinical, allowing you to model, to then predict outcome, to then prove therapy before you ever administer it. Yeah. I mean, that that is revolutionary. Yeah. And it, that that really, you know, people struggle with the idea of what is a, a you know, a individualized precision-based immunomolecular augmentation with peptides. They, they struggle with that. Mm -hmm. But you're talking about an idea of no longer being reactionary, but you're being incredibly proactive, but yeah. in a very specific, targeted, purposeful way. Yes. 
Yes, yeah. and you're using the, the precision-based immunomolecular augmentation uh, platform uh, to be able to, to design more intelligent designs. Yeah. So like going into this, we already know that we're capturing that biodata and what's relatable to the patients. We've, we've over the last you know, several years have cap captivated so much data and we can actually interrogate that data process you know, quite, uh, you know, quite thoroughly right. to, to be able to uh, create what we call the best molecules for development, right. the best peptide molecular structures for development. So we have the capability in that platform to do that and integrate that into the organoid model, right? right? So the organoid model, this is kind of like the driver machine right. that creates the best molecule lead optimization to be able to test it onto the organoid model, get that data back, make any kind of corrections you need to make, input it back into the uh, precision-based uh, you know, immunomolecular augmentation platform, and then fine-tune your structures to be more, you know, to whatever data is coming back. Like you get that data back, it's going to say you need to maybe, you know, switch a position or whatever the case may be in, in the design. Right, of, right? of a peptide. Of a peptide. Right. You would be able to capture that expression on an organoid model. So what you're right? saying so, is you're saying you'd be able to, on this organoid mod model, say, oh, wow, we need to shift the positions of these pep these uh, amino acids in this peptide yes. because it better fits because right. you've modeled and you've predicted and you've proven that it does. Yes, and, you, and, and that eliminates the need to have it a multiple, you know, stick the patient multiple times and run these expensive tests to I'm try sure to. I'm sure they like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're saying you're getting away, away from the uh, pin cushion you're process. You're getting of yeah, medicine? you're getting away from the pin cushion process and trying to get the validation from doing multiple sticks on a patient, and and you know laborious tests to try to figure out what's happening. The organoid model gives you that that real focused view without without you having to put the patient through any more trauma, you know. So, you know, so it's almost a year ago now that we first sat down and did that, that take one, just presenting the concept of uh, personalized peptides. But, I mean, what you're talking about here and what we've talked about here is basically going from the molecular, so cell to cell, to space to improve the molecular and then bring it back from space yes. to give it back to that molecular environment. Right. So really, the, the space pharma, space medicine ties intimately, specifically, and perfectly with what you're doing currently with the precision-based peptides. To make it better. Absolutely. To optimize it and make it better, right? So you're innovating, you're elevating, yep. and what that's going to do is that's going to empower doctors to not just focus on longevity, but, but help legacy. Yes. And by improving efficiency and reducing side effects because of the precise nature of this, mm -hmm you're going to able to you know, move from a disease-centric model to one that focuses truly, what, which is what everybody wants, healing. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yep. So, told you this would blow your mind. <laughs> um, John, it's always great to bring you on. Thank so, you. So what are you going to marine medicine, marine pharmacy next? <laughs> no, I, I think we'll stick with microgravity because it's going to keep us occupied. We're going to be doing a lot of work on the on you know where we are right okay. now. So we've got a lot on our plate uh, to work through. Uh, our, our team is growing. Yeah. Uh, you're doing incredible you know, work, John. Uh, and then you you know as you know you're part of the process yourself with the clinical applications yeah. part of it. 
and uh, and we're looking forward to having a lot more uh, uh, you know strategic partners and being able to demonstrate that we can you know change the dynamo of healthcare yeah. and really make a, a a very large impact on creating that individualized therapeutic shift that you were talking about today. Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking that uh, that's an exciting thing. So we, so, so the, the space efforts help to improve our on-the-planet efforts. Uh, that's the whole reason why we're doing it. It's not just like, a, you know, uh, a hobby that you can just, you know, launch rockets and... <laughs> That'd be an expensive hobby. <laughs> that's an expensive hobby, you know what I mean? It's, this is actually a ground, more of a groundbreaking, much more technological, uh, advancing uh, type of effort. And, well, which uh, is one that yeah. we've seen before again yeah. with with the, you know, the the search for the landing on the moon. You know that right. whole objective. Right. So much innovation came out of there, and that's exactly what you're doing here. So, yeah. so obviously you're posting a lot of great information online. Where can people find you? Uh, well, they can go to my LinkedIn page. Okay. Uh, you know, that's uh, one place that they can go. Uh, they can go to the website, uh, which is the neo7bioscience.com website. Yeah. Uh, I've got a new book that's going to be coming out in the first quarter of 2024. It's okay. called The Symphony Within. Oh, very good. Very and good. Uh, that's going to explain the process of what we're talking about here, but more in, uh, much more e language ease yeah. <clears throat> so that people can understand the fine dance of molecular symmetry or molecular balance Ooh, in molecular their bodies. Dancing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mo <laughs> a molecular dance, basically. So it's really uh, something exciting. And uh, like I said, it should be released here first quarter of 2024. Well, I hope I get for, it. I want to sign book. Yes. And we'll we'll have to bring we'll have to bring you on afterwards to let you let, we'll talk about that. Book oh, oh, absolutely. I, th we can have you. a lot of fun with that. Yeah, Definitely yeah. That. It'll, it'll be a uh, already uh, people that have actually seen the Dear Reader because I created the Dear Reader thing, and uh, the way the, the it kind of goes into the flow. People were reading the Dear Reader and saying, "I really want to read that book." Right. So it's not you know we're not creating a historical novel. We're right, not. Right, right. <laughs> You know, we're not creating not, not some kind of, Dick Tart no, we're not, crea we're not creating a sci-fi thing that you, you know, like the portal, the yeah. book, the portal, well, yeah. though that book, the portal is quite fascinating, uh, but we're creating a real deal, how it works for people. And uh, it's going to be exciting, but yet it's going to tell a story, right? It'll yeah. have, a, it'll have a nice journey feel to it. And uh, I'm quite excited at getting it out there. Yeah, so check John out at those two different sites. Again, the neo7bioscience.com, as well as his LinkedIn. You, of course, can find me at Practicing with Dr. Nathan Good, your podcast. And I would encourage everybody that's watching this podcast, sign up for the podcast so that when we drop new podcasts, you're notified. And then share that with others that also you think would benefit from this. Because what we want to do is we want to innovate, right? We're bringing together innovators from not just this world, but outside this world. And we're doing that because what we want to do is elevate and empower you as individuals to really achieve a full legacy to achieve and maximize your longevity, both here right now, but then for your generations that come, your children, your grandchildren, etc. So, of course, check me out over at drgoodyear.com. Of course, I'm medical director at briomedical.com. So that's brio-medical.com. And then, of course, check me out on Instagram at dr.goodyear.com. And But you know, to be clear, we're on all social media. So check us out there. Uh, engage with us. Ask us questions. Because you know what? My producer standing right behind the camera there shaking his head. Uh, we get lots of questions, and we will select those questions, and we will absolutely answer those questions. 
So we encourage engagement and we love to bring that information to you because we want to innovate, elevate, and empower you to take control of the reins of your healing because there's nobody that's a bigger advocate for your wellness, your health, than yourself. So Dr. Good, you're signing off here from the RadFest 2023 in Anaheim, California. John, thanks. Thank you. You bet, brother. For more information, just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing, restore health, and promote your wellness. Whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease, our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear, and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.